You can uh, catch this every Wednesday. We do it live on the YouTube channel at noon. Uh, and then it's archived after that uh, and then available on our podcast channel as well. And then we put a link out on all the Rick and Bubba social media platforms on my personal social media uh, platforms as well. If you ever want to go back and catch up, like if you're just joining this uh, Pursuit of Holiness, we're now in session 14. So if you want to go back and pick up some of the ones you missed or any past Bible study, you can do that by going to BurgessMinistries.com and just click on listen. If you'll click listen, uh, you'll see it there and you can go back over years of Bible studies and enjoy those as well. Uh, thank you for being here with us. A couple of announcements. Those of you that are from Birmingham or you're in the Birmingham area or you attend Shades Mountain Baptist Church or you'd like to come, you certainly can. The next Man Church is August 25th, happening this month. Uh, that is free. You don't need a ticket or anything for that. At 6 o'clock at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Greg Powers, a professional golfer, will be with us. And then the very next day, on the 26th, will be part of the Challenge Golf Tournament. Uh, this is an evangelical tool uh, for you to find a man that maybe is unchurched or a man who's on a journey, but you think he'd love to play Greystone Country Club uh, for free on Monday the 26th. Uh, you can caddy for him. You won't be carrying any clubs or anything like that. You'll just be you know, driving a cart along with the cart that he is on, uh, and y'all can enjoy the day together and then there'll be a gospel presentation. I'll be doing that on that Monday night. So uh, even if you can't caddy, but you, we will have a caddy provided and you have somebody that you would love uh, to, uh, now this is not about you getting your friends together that already love Jesus and give them a free golf day. This is about using this to give them an opportunity to hear the gospel. Uh, Greg Powers will give his testimony and then I'll do a gospel presentation with him for the dinner that night. So they'll get a lunch, they'll get a dinner and they get to play Greystone for free and they get some cool prizes and all that, but I need to know that person's name by the end of this week. Uh, that would be helpful. So if there's somebody that you have invited and they have accepted, you could just invite one person and tell them to bring a friend. That'd be fine. Uh, but just let me know that and I'll plug you in with Tommy Doramus who will set up that day uh, for your guest uh, and or for you. And it'll be a great opportunity uh, to spend some time together and hopefully uh, see some men come to know Jesus. Y'all be sure and be praying about that on August 26th as well. well let's open in a word of prayer and we'll jump right in uh, to uh, the pursuit of holiness uh, session 14 today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. We, we joked around before the Bible study started, but, but, but in this room, and I'm sure around the world, are people listening who have been forgiven much. Uh, and, and we are so thankful for the grace and mercy that you've shown us. But as this Bible sh study has shown us, there is a change that takes place in the redeemed. Uh, and, and there is power uh, to help us to pursue the holiness that you call each and every one of us to. And, of course, that, that power to do that is found only in, in you. However, there is action that we must take. Uh, so help us today to apply this to our lives as we continue to be sanctified and mature in our faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, thank you all for being with us today. Uh, we, we, we are in chapter 14. Now, this is a, a relatively short chapter, uh, and, I, and I thought about you know, jumping out there and trying to do 14 and 15, but I just felt in my spirit that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, we may end at our normal time. We may not, but I just felt like we needed to drive this point of home this point home today, no matter how long it takes, whether it's a shorter time or not. Uh, first thing, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we want to go to Romans uh, chapter 6, where we're going to be in verse 19. And, and so th I think the last three weeks for me was when it was all really coming together. I'm kind of slow. We've gone through 
several sessions, but the last three, three have really hit me. Chapter 11, our session 11, talked about that we have to be holy uh, in our body. Uh, the next one, we talked about being holy in the spirit. And then last week, we started kind of talking about, which is going to continue today, you know, trying to, to take these things and, and then get our will uh, to be under the authority uh, of a pursuit of holiness as well. And today, we're going to take on habits of holiness because it, just like Paul says, and this really Romans chapter six is kind of the, the, the chapter that is the, the foundation of this entire study because we know in chapter six what Paul is teaching the redeemed, and we've said this a lot, but it, it's, it's worth, you know, repetition as we'll talk about today works. Paul is telling us that certainly we have been saved by grace and we have been freed from sin, but we have not been freed to sin. We don't become grace abusers. Let's show how gracious God can be by how horrible I still am but yet I'm still saved. That is not what the Bible teaches, uh, and, and that's bad theology. What the Bible teaches, and Paul says, is no, not only have you been forgiven of your sin, your spirit has now been made alive, and you now have been freed from the reign of sin, meaning you're no longer a slave, or he uses the, the Greek word doulos, which is a bondservant, meaning you were once a slave to sin. Remember, the, the bondservants had no rights whatsoever. They were, they were not indentured slaves. They were, they were they were bond servants, meaning they, they had no rights of their own. And that used to be the way we belonged to sin. We were bond servants to sin. We sinned uncontrollably because we couldn't break the reign of sin. But Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit broke uh, the, 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 the authority of sin over our lives and the reign of sin over our life. Now, when we decide to sin after being redeemed, sadly, we choose to. We sin as free people. We, we no longer have an excuse. And, uh, and so Paul makes that clear. So now he goes on to talk about the, how the two lives look uh, versus before we were redeemed and after. And he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Now, there's a teacher that clarifies, I'm going to have to dumb this thing down for you. Uh, so I'll try to, and you know what I say to Paul? Thank you. I needed that. So he said, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, which is leading to holiness. So what Paul's saying is there's a change that's taking place now. At one time, your whole body and every member of your body was a slave to sin. And so you took your body and you just, you, you poured it out to sin. Now you're going to take the same body and the same uh, spirit has now been made alive. Now your body has a shot for you now to learn what we're going to talk about today, new habits where once your, your habits led to sin. Now new habits will actually lead to righteousness and your sanctification, which means what? Action. You know, this is one of the things that, that really are to inspire every man. I, I, just, I just had a conversation about this yesterday. And, and this is something that I want you to never misunderstand. And I want you to understand because this is something that I think the church at, at times, especially in men's ministry, has done a poor job with. And that is telling a man what the truth is about following Jesus. And what have we said? Most of us aren't man enough to do it. Uh, it is not easy. Uh, and, and, and there's, and you know why? Cause Jesus says it wasn't easy. I ran into the situation and I won't get into the details of it uh, yesterday where once again, we had somebody who claimed to be redeemed, but was doing something that was clearly in conflict with scripture clearly. 
And so we got into this back and forth about it, and I was talking to some people that were dealing with this person. First of all, the person was doing what everybody does until you, if, you know, is it, first of all, what you start justifying what you're doing is not being as bad as it really is. Okay, so, so first of all, you have to deal with the fact that, 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 what, what, that you are sinning. You know, like uh, I was talking, my wife was talking to somebody who was having a, a problems like I had from chapter 11, problems with weight and gluttony and, and, and uh, you know, overindulging in food. And, and the person asked my wife, she said, when, when did Rick make the change? How, how did Rick finally lose the weight and get his eating and everything under control? I'd like to know what he did. And my wife said, when he called it sin. Until he called it sin, he didn't do anything about it. You know, until he started recognizing that scripturally the way he was living his life was sinful, he didn't address it. So, so first of all, if we're not willing to deal with sin in our life and call it sin, we'll never address it. So what was happening in this situation was the same thing. The person was basically saying, the way I'm responding really isn't that bad. And so the person that I was talking with that was kind of trying to deal with this too, I said, well, see, that's the problem. I said, here, here, here we go again. Here's what we got to understand is this is a person that is not under conviction over what's happening. And then the reason why that's, that's happening is the guy is doing things. And I'll be honest with you, what he was needing to do is difficult. It was a situation that I had to deal with that was difficult. But really, everything we have to deal with in a fallen creation, being a follower of Jesus, is difficult. It's filled with difficult decisions. And so what happened here, as I said, what the person is doing is completely, and this is what the person said, this is a natural reaction. I said, no, that's why it's wrong. It's naturally wrong. I said, what this person is doing is exactly what all human beings do. And every lost human being would do in this situation. Everybody would respond the way this person is responding. You're not, he, he doesn't think it's a big deal because he sees everybody else respond this way. But that don't mean it's right. That's right. And so what I said was, see, that's the problem. This person isn't listening to the Spirit. Can I tell you this? My flesh and my desires and my emotions will never convict me. So as long as I'm listening to them, I don't come under conviction. And what, what do you hear all the time when somebody does something that is in conflict with what they believe? Well, that was a perfectly natural reaction. Yeah, it was naturally wrong. We don't respond to things in the natural way. Not once we've been redeemed. Not once the Spirit has begun to grow. Because spiritually, the Spirit begins to convict us and begins to shape us because we can't be comfortable in these situations again. But today, what the study is going to talk about is saying, but this is not going to happen like Paul's talking about in Romans 6 if you don't develop some new habits. I mean, the way you live your life is, is not the way it once was. This is not to earn salvation. It's in response to salvation. Uh, John Owen says it in a way that none of us, most of us in here, except for a few of you will, uh, you know, like Cersei, will probably understand the way he said it. I'll have to come back and dumb it down for the rest of us. Okay, but here, here's what John Owen said, the great Puritan. He said, repeated acts of the consent of the will unto sin may beget a disposition and inclinableness of the will unto a proneness and a readiness to consent unto sin upon easy solicitation. Now, I know Bill's the only one that got that. And he knows exactly what we're talking about. Let me dumb it down for you. The more we sin, the more we're inclined to sin. 
Now, he said it a lot more beautiful than that, but, but, but I didn't understand that. I understand this. Every sin we commit reinforces the habit of sinning, and then we'll continue to make it easier to continue to sin. Raise your hand if that ever happened in your life. Mine's up high. I can tell you something, and this is the thing that we have to understand. When I made a move, I'll never forget it, and it could be anything, but I'm just telling you what it was for me. When I, went, when I was 19 years old, 19 years old, I had never drank a drop of alcohol in my entire life until I was 19 years old because I had come up as a cultural Christian and I tried to be morally good mostly. Now, there were still things in my life that were not under the authority of Christ and I, and I was an intellectual believer from the time I've, I've told you that I was old enough to ever understand. First time I heard about God and heard about Jesus, I believed it. I, I, just, I just didn't come under the authority of it, but I certainly believe, believed it. And so I was taking that cultural Christianity and kind of living a life of trying to be a pretty decent teenager. And, uh, and so I thought as long as you weren't partying and you weren't drinking, then you were a pretty good person. I mean, that, that was the extent of holiness that I thought. Just don't be a drunk and don't party like everybody else. Now, I had other areas in my life that were completely out of bounds involving girlfriends and women and things like that. But I, for some reason, I didn't think that was as bad as being a drunk. And I would certainly marry this person at some point anyway, so it didn't really matter. So, so, so anyway, so then I go into a situation, which I, I, I won't get too deep in this either, because a lot of these men have gone on to be turning to great men of God, praise the Lord. But I got in a situation where I was with a group of men that for some reason, or we were boys then, 19, we didn't act like men, where I decided for some reason that, that it wasn't going to be any big deal in this moment to drink. Did, wouldn't peer pressure. It wasn't anything other than, 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 than my own flesh said, I think I'm done with not drinking, but I'll be fine. It's just one moment, and then I'll just take one drink, and, and I don't know that I'll ever do it again, but I'm going to take a drink in this situation because I want to, and I kind of like this group, and this group drinks, and I kind of want to you know, be part of this too, and, and so I did. So when I took that first drink, I can still remember the brand, I can still remember the taste. And I remember when I took that drink, what I had no idea is I had stepped into 13 years of every kind of sin you could think of. I never went back to church again. It, it, it just started a habit that became another habit that became another habit that became another habit that became another habit. And before I knew it, conviction didn't even exist. I went from thinking that I was capable of some things to being capable of anything. And I can remember sitting in my car in the middle of a cornfield where I was not coherent enough to drive it all those years later. And I thought to myself, how in the world have I ended up here? And I'll tell you how, because I started down a road that just got worse and worse and worse and worse. But here's the good news. When I was redeemed by Jesus Christ in 1996, I started new habits. And what I have noticed is those habits have also got more powerful and more powerful and more powerful and more powerful. Not because I've developed some great self-control but because the Holy Spirit really is that strong. Amen, and so, so when I start feeding that habit, 
But, you know, when you do things like I habitually go to worship, I habitually get in prayer, I habitually hang out with other men and women of God, before I know it, guess what else works in the positive way? Influence, mm -hmm. peer pressure, and habits. So that's what this chapter is about. So in the previous chapters, we discussed the importance of guarding our minds and emotions. Very important because these faculties are the channels through which various compelling forces reach to our wills. And remember, we have to submit our will under the authority of Jesus. But we need to understand how our habits will also influence our will. Habits matter, don't they? Think about the things you do that are just habitual. And... Um, so what is a habit? Uh, this is what the dictionary says. Prevailing disposition or character of a person's thoughts and feelings. I love that word prevailing. See, there may be things that I kind of like, but they're not prevailing. They don't really have power over me. But a habit does. Uh, think about all of you, anything you've ever done in your life. When you, got, when you finally got some sort of expertise on it, what? It's when it became habitual to you. You know, some of us in here that, that played athletics or whatever, you remember once you kind of developed how you were supposed to do it, you really didn't think about it anymore. I can remember one time a, a coach even said something happened, which was rare for me, that, that went pretty well. And he says, so, so show the rest of the guys what you did. I had no idea. I said, I, I can't show it. And he said, well, I said, it just, it, just, it just happened. I don't know how it happened. I've done this so many times that it just happens. You know, I mean, it, it, I can remember that because when, when we used to play, and it could apply to anything in your life, but we used to play, it's different now because the, the game has changed so much. I couldn't coach football now because it's not the game I played. That's not a good or bad statement. I just don't know the techniques of today. But when, the position I played, you had to read the, the, the blocker in front of you, and if you learned to read his body movement, you knew what was happening, you knew where to go. Well, that had to become habitual. I mean, you couldn't every time think about, oh, he's moving this way, so I guess I do that because it's over. I mean, now you're blocked. It had to come to the point that you just, as soon as you saw that, you knew what that was. I remember one time playing with, uh, with, uh, with, with my brother who was a defensive back, and he made, he made a play on, on the ball. And I said, wow, man, that was a great job. He said, it wasn't, it wasn't nothing to it. I said, why? He goes, because I have done that so many times, I knew exactly what this play was. They couldn't fool me because I saw what was coming. I mean, every, I've watched film on this over and over again. I have done this. I've, I've taken these steps over and over again, these same drop steps, this same break on the ball over and over again. I didn't even know I had the ball till y'all were jumping up and down with me. It's, it's, it's habitual. And so this can, look, we've seen how this happens in our sin life. Believe it or not, this can happen in your holy life. You can become stronger in your faith by the power provided only by Jesus, but it can be worked on and developed just like sin did. That's right. And that's what we have to understand. Habits are the thoughts and emotional patterns that are ground or engraved, I should say, in our minds. Habits, think about it. I remember last week I had more, uh, a week before last, Guys were talking about different things. You, believe it or not, and I know I bring this up a lot because it's something that Satan defeats men with all the time. Did you know just as you can habitually look at a woman, you can habitually not look at her? Do you believe that? You absolutely can. If you look at her now after you've been redeemed, you're looking at her just because you want to. You made a choice to. Are you saying, Jesus just can't beat this? I, I, he just... He just Jesus is so inept, he can't change my eyes from lusting after other women. Yes, he can. You just don't want him to. 
You know, the sins that I still struggle with are sins I still love more than Jesus. I still think they're better than not doing them. Because if I thought, that, if I thought not doing them were better, I wouldn't do them. If I thought that this would keep me out of the proper relationship with Jesus, I wouldn't do it. I mean, think about that. Would you do anything that you thought was going to lead to the death of somebody you loved? On purpose. You said, I just can't help it. So you couldn't stop doing something if it was going to kill your children? You couldn't stop doing something if it was going to kill your wife? Yeah, you'd stop doing it. Well, see, we don't think that the sin in our life is, is, is all that big a deal. It's an incredibly big deal. It's an incredibly big deal. And this is the thing. But here's the reason why it's a big deal. Because it may not even take your salvation. Okay? Well, it may not even affect your salvation. It, it'll affect how you, how, it may affect how you're going to live in heaven. It may affect the rewards you get. But let's say it doesn't affect your, your salvation. And that's your only motivation. As long as I can find out a way, Rick, that I'm going to be once saved, always saved, I'm going to walk that line. You know, these are these people that look to the Bible for what's allowed as opposed to looking for what's commanded. I used to be that guy. Okay, so I belong to Jesus. What can I still do? And, and see, that's the wrong way to look at the Word of God. That's an immature person who's not going to be very effective for the kingdom and is going to be easily picked off by the adversary. And what happens is when you get to the point that you take it serious, everything changes. And I, I use the example all the time of Lot in the Bible. Look, apparently, based on the writer of Hebrews, we're going to see a lot. We're going to see the man Lot in eternity. But based on what I watched how he acted with Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm not going to see his wife in heaven. I'm not going to see his son-in-laws in heaven. I'm probably not going to see his daughters in heaven. So the way Lot acted didn't affect him eternally, but it sure did affect everybody he, that he influenced because they bought into, I guess it ain't no big deal what we do. Remember, remember this. you got to remember this as some of you have leaders of family. What was the big issue when Lot said, hey, we got to get out of here. we got to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It said his son-in-laws laughed at him. Why did they laugh at him? He didn't have any credibility. What do you mean we're leaving? You're the one that brought us here. You love Sodom and Gomorrah. You've lived in this culture, and we couldn't tell the difference between you and the culture, and now you want to leave? We don't buy it. Okay? So why did his wife look back at Sodom and Gomorrah? Don't look back. Tell your wife not to look back. I'll kill her if she looks back. Because I'm about to lay that place to waste. Why do you think Lot's wife looked back? Because her husband taught her to love Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't have any credibility with her either. Honey, don't look back. What do you mean? Dead. See, it, and then the stuff that went on with his daughters, we won't even get into. So how did all that happen? Well, we see undoubtedly Lot's going to heaven, but his family ain't going with him. Because the way he lived was a really big deal how it affected everybody else who did not have the relationship with God that he did. You see how dangerous grace abuse can be to people that you love? Or maybe people you don't even love, but God loves that came in contact with you and you didn't show them anything that, 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 that pointed them to Jesus. They saw you and said, 
And see, that's the situation that, that, that happened that I was talking about yesterday. I mean, we got people out there that claim to be part of the church. They claim to be followers of Jesus. And, 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 and they're, they're living a life that looks just like the world. And what they're saying is to Jesus is this. And I saw it just yesterday. What they're saying to Jesus, and I used to be this person. So I'm, this is not me being self-righteous. But I'm not going to be this person anymore. You know, what, you know what their real attitude is if they were honest? Hey, Jesus, save me from hell, but don't ask it to cost me anything. I give up nothing, but please don't send me to hell. And if you do, I'm going to be mad about it. I'm going I'm to think you're unreasonable. Hey, listen, God didn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell. You'll crawl across the cross and you'll say, I reject this redemption and I reject deliverance from sin. I love Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you're sitting there go, go, going across, you'll have to step across God's redemption to throw yourself in hell. That was a good conversation I had with the atheist when I was in Nicaragua. He was from England. He said, I just can't serve a God that would send people to hell if I don't believe what he wants me to believe. I said, well, see, you don't understand God. I said, the God, God I serve is delivering people from hell. We all go into hell if he didn't deliver us from it. We sent ourselves to hell. And what, what the God I serve did is says, how about I deliver you from hell? And how dare we, how dare we take that grace and turn around and say, please don't ask anything of me. Don't expect any return on that. Please, please don't mess up my life now. Let me do what I want to do. But then when I die now, I still get to come be with you, right? I got news for you. If you're playing that kind of game, you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. He's too wonderful for you to be that apathetic about it. Look, I know I've been there. That is not salvation. That's cultural Christianity, and you'll go right to hell with everybody else. And hell is real, and people are really going there. And it's gravely important. It's gravely important. The, these internal habit patterns play just as forceful a role as the external influences on our actions. So you're, you're saying, Rick, what does that mean? Well, obviously we see the things that we do and we act on, but the things we're thinking and the things that we're processing and the things that we allow to go on inside are just as important than any action we do outside because they all work together. Uh, John Owen again, every lust is a depraved habit our disposition, continually inclining our hearts to do evil. Now see that one I understand from John. What he's saying is you may say the right things, you may do the right things, and your actions look pretty good. But if inside you still have any kind of lust, any kind of despise, any kind of internal sin that you're not dealing with, it is so depraved and it'll be such a bad habit, it will then continually incline your heart to do evil. You know why I did evil for so long? Because it didn't bother me. I was inclined to evil. I wasn't inclined to holiness. Holiness made me uncomfortable. Evil I was perfectly comfortable with. I remember thinking if you could get me into a, into a, into a bar and, and, and around a bunch of women and around a bunch of alcohol, that was, whoo, I'm home. I'm home. Man, I... If I'm having a really good night, I'll end up getting punched by somebody. This is going to be great. You know what I mean? And, and so, and so what, what, what I did, but see, what happens is when the Holy Spirit redeems you, when you return to that place, it doesn't feel that way anymore. Now the discomfort comes from sin, 
not from holiness. Now being in the right place with God is what feels at home, and being in conflict with him is what feels wrong. And that's, that's done by the Holy Spirit. That's why you can't follow your emotions. You can't follow your desires. You can't follow your flesh because it's all, those three things are always wrong. That's right. And if they don't come under the authority of the Spirit, you can't trust them. Look at what Paul's saying in this verse I just read to you in 619. He's saying that we had an ever-increasing wickedness before we knew Jesus. In the past, we gave ourselves up to developing habits, habits of unholiness. Every time we sinned, these sins became habitual until we, in fact, became enslaved by sin. I remember how strong these habits were. I can remember when I became redeemed. I honestly thought to myself on that day one, there's certain things in my life that have become so habitual, I'll never get out of it. <coughs> I've talked to people before. They're saying, I just can't imagine. There's just too much to change. Yeah. And, but, but, but see, you can't ever get to the point to say that Jesus can't do it. You can't, but he can. But you've got to move. You've you got to make decisions now that, you, that you're going to pursue him and not pursue the satisfaction of your flesh. Paul says now what has to happen. Just as we formerly gave ourselves to these wicked habits, we are to now to give ourselves to developing habits of holiness, putting off the old self, sinful disposition and habits, and to put on a new self with its character, and now habits of holiness. Holiness can be just as habitual as sin. You know, and, and, and what I do, I go as far as to even say this. I was kidding around the other day. With, uh, with a guy who's helping me with parts of my life that I needed to get under the authority of Christ, my physical health and my physical appearance and, and my fight against gluttony and, and things that I justified for far too long. And, and I told you some of you guys this before, and I said it in here. We literally talk about old Rick versus new Rick. They'll even have fun with it. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll get out there and come in there and say, how did you do today? And I say, well, I did this, this, and that. And they go, oh, old Rick could have done that. Old Rick would have quit about halfway and said, that's good. Old Rick would have called and said, hey, I got a lot going on today. I, could, I can't get by there today. They said, it's glad, we're glad old Rick didn't run it today. See, I don't let old Rick run things anymore. He'll creep up every now and then, and I have to deal with him. But what I've done now is I've strengthened new Rick so much. See, I, keep, I, keep, I, I, don't, I don't spend time watering old Rick where he'll grow. What I want to do is continue to feed new Rick. That's, that's the new self. I, I'm, if, you know what it says when it says put off the old self? You know what that means? Get rid of it. I mean, can you imagine me walking around? And I, if I, I said, hey, I got this old jacket. It stinks. It's messed up. It's got holes in it. And, and, I'm, 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 and it's winter and I'm freezing. And, and, and I said, I'm going to go get a new jacket. And you see me and I'm standing there. And I said, man, I'm freezing. And they said, well, you still got the same old jacket on. Yeah, I'm just going to keep wearing it. And expect a different result. You already know it doesn't keep you warm. You said you needed a new jacket. Yeah, I do. I do need a new one. Are you ever going to take this one off and put the new one on? See, until you do, you still got the same problems. You know, you've got to throw off the old self. It's got to be gone. And I like this. And, and this is a thing that I think that, that we need to talk to men more about, about it not being easy. You do realize what Jesus said, right? You know what he said? Let me tell you what's easy. It's a wide, easy road, and it leads to destruction, and many are going there. Matthew 7. Mm -hmm. He says, but my, my, he didn't even say road. Mine is a narrow gate. He said, and, and to follow me is going to be hard, and only a few of you will make it. 
So, but, but see, we keep wanting easy and wide. Now, not anything else in life. In everything else in life, we're tough guys. Man, that's hard. Let's go get it. Let's make it. I can do it. I can make that go. I can accomplish that. I can whip anybody. I, nobody coming past me. What about spiritually? Now, spiritually, I'm kind of a loser. <laughs> why, why does a man want to be a loser spiritually? I want the standards high in everything in life except this. Oh, the only thing that's going to, have any, that's going to mean anything in eternity. And you know what it says? Listen, listen what, what Paul says to young Timothy. I love this one. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. This is, by the way, 2 Timothy 4, and I'm in verse 7. Have nothing to do with, with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Does that mean it just happens? No. He says train. Hey, get rid of who you used to be. Get rid of that silly stuff you used to be. Now train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, meaning it's of some value, it's important to do that, but, let's just, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise, not only for the present life, as bodily, you know, bodily you go in presently, this will help me. But he says, you work on godliness. It doesn't just hold a promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. Somebody say amen to that. So why wouldn't we spend more time training ourselves for eternity? For eternity. Train yourself for godliness. It doesn't just happen. And he says, discipline and structure in our lives, that's what we have to do to develop godly habits. And one of the things is what? Resolve. Resolve. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time. We cannot have an attitude toward godliness that is an attitude of what we'll see. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were talking to me and you, you invested in me? Let's say you said, hey, I'm invested in the Rick and Bubba show. I want to get a return on my investment. Okay. Hey, Rick, tell us what you're doing. I really have no plan. What? Am I going to get a return on my investment? We'll see. What, well, tell me, I understand there's always risk with investment, but what's your plan to return a profit to me? I, I don't have one. You have no plan? No. What's going to happen? I don't know. Would you invest in something that unstable? I mean, it's always a risk, but you'd like to see a plan, wouldn't you? I mean, you, you, you'd like to see a plan. Well, what, 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 uh, what, what Jerry is telling us and what, what Paul is telling Timothy and what he's telling us in Romans 6, if you want to develop godly habits, you've got to have discipline and you've got to have structure. What is the plan? Do you even have a plan for this? Because most men have a plan for everything. Do you have a plan for this? Well, I've got this for you. If you don't, if you don't plan it, and you're not having some sort of intentional direction on this, it's not going to happen. You said, well, Rick, you told me that, that it's, I'm fully righteous, I'm made in Christ. Yes, you are. But for you to become godly and to be sanctified, if you've been redeemed, for you to actually be effective and begin to grow, you have to access the power that's now been provided you and me. Putting off these sinful habits is what Paul calls mortifying or putting to death the deeds of the body. Mortify, kill them, dead. 
Look, one of the things that I learned through going through the, the suffering, and, and, and suffering is a terrible thing. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But I will tell you this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he starts talking about this thorn in his side. And he starts talking about this thorn in his flesh, I mean. And then he says, I've even got a demon that is mocking me, harassing me. And I keep going to the Lord and saying, hey, take this away from me. Look, take the difficulty of it away from me. And he says, but I heard from the Lord, no, my grace is efficient. I am keeping this on you for your good. I'm reminding that you won't release me from this because it keeps me humble. And I'm reminded that I'm really nothing other than what you make me. So listen, so I have, are you ready for this, man? You talk about counterculture to men. So I have learned to celebrate my weakness. Because when I'm weak, that's when I'm actually strong. Because you know what? I'm dead. I'm dead. I mean, are you willing to say to the Lord, do whatever you got to do to kill me? Do whatever you got to do to kill me. I will tell you this. When I got to the point that I had to use the Lord to tie my shoes, I didn't doubt my salvation. I, I, I was redeemed in 1996. But the biggest step I took, took toward godliness was in 2008. When I, when I couldn't function without complete dependence on the Lord. And I, and I do find myself at times saying, I celebrate that. I celebrate it. I, I'm glad that you did whatever you had to do, and I believe that you are right. It's like, you know, you think about, you think about Job, and we talk about this a lot. It says blameless and upright at the beginning, but blameless and upright at the beginning, as you find at the end, was only comparing Job to the other evil people. He was blameless and upright compared to everybody else. But when he went through his suffering, and he gets to to chapter 42, and it's a long, hard ride, and and he's now repenting. What, What is Job doing repenting? He said, before I had... I had heard of you with my ears. I knew who you were, somewhat. But through this grind we've been on, I now see you. I see you more intimately in a way I'd never seen you before. And what's the next line? So I despise myself. And I repent in ashes and dust. I thought he was blameless and upright. But through the suffering, he became so aware of the holiness of God he realized how sinful he still was. So, so really, Job was taking what? To another level. Through what? A grind. Discipline. So, can I just tell you, God loves you enough to do whatever he's got to do to get you there. Just do it. Amen. Why don't you just say today, I submit, you don't have to take me through all that. I submit to you today. I buy, I buy You don't have to do that to me. Rick was hard-headed. You had to crush him. I, look, I, I'm going to listen today. And I'm going to say, I'm ready to start to step toward godliness. I'm under your authority right now. I'm in. And you'll see me making changes in my life. Rick, what kind of changes? Here's one. Whatever you're doing that's sinning, stop it. <laughs> stop doing it. If you've got people in your life, they keep causing you to stumble. Apparently, you're not strong enough to have impacted them. They're impacting you. Get rid of them. Now, you can still have a relationship with them and try to minister to them, but they don't belong in your influential circle anymore. 
If, they're, if, you're, if you find that there's people that you hang around, and when you hang around them, your spiritual life goes down, not up, they don't belong in your inner circle. They can certainly still be an acquaintance. They can even be someone that maybe was once a friend, and there's somebody you need to check on, you need to care for, you need to love, but they got to get out of your circle of influence. You got, you got to make drastic changes as if your eternity depends on it. What did Paul said? I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not taking anything lightly. And anything that doesn't belong in our life, that blasphemes God, get rid of it. I had to say this again yesterday. This person was taking this situation, and they were taking one of God's standards, and they were playing games with it. And you know when the, per person, uh, the, the person finally, you could see a pause, I said, this is blasphemy. This is not a mild thing. You're thumbing your nose at God's standard. It's blasphemy. Well, see, that's a whole different game now. That's a different game now. You know, we got to get to the point where we fear being on the wrong side of God more than we fear being on the wrong side of any person, including your own family. Amen. Let me say that again. Including your own family. If you have to compromise God to be in good standing with any human, don't. Don't. That's the reason why he says, if you'll, if you'll put me where I belong, then you can actually be what you need to be for these other people anyway. And some people don't understand that part of the Bible. What he's talking about is everything flows for me. If you don't have it flowing for me, you're no good to your family anyway. So the way that you love your family is to just justify their sin? Now, you don't have to be a jerk, but you certainly don't condone it. And then say things like, you know, let's celebrate it and let's all, let's all pretend it's okay so we can have a good day. No, you're, you're, just, you're just delaying a terrible problem. Let everybody know where you stand and that you stand with God and, and, and all you're doing is standing where you need them to stand because that's what's going to be best for them. Right? Again, now you don't have to be mean, you don't have to be self-righteous, you don't have to be sanctimonious, but you don't love anybody when you just pretend they're not in sin. That's right. It may make for a, a better a family gathering. It might be a, a smoother day for a moment, but it, is, it, it has done damage to the kingdom of God. How can you have a smooth day if you ended up on the wrong side of God that day? Whew, I'm glad I got through that. Well, see, that shows me you don't, you don't hold God in the proper place. Maybe you call him the big man upstairs. Maybe it's one of those things. Hey, I'm going to talk to the people you told me to go talk to, Moses, talking to God. Who should I say you are? What is your name? I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm it, and I have always been. And we're going to take that, and that's going to be the last person we're concerned about being on the wrong side of. We're going to cater to the world and cater to people more than we're going to cater to God. Well, that, that has to mean that we really don't see him for who he really is. It can't mean anything else. And believe it or not, you can get to the place where you're so aware of him that it changes everything. Amen. But it takes habits. 
Romans 8, 13, one of the greatest chapters of the entire Bible. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Hey, everybody hear that? You may be having a good time pleasing the flesh for today, but the flesh is going to kill you. That'd be like saying, I'm having a good day today with a cotton mouth, a water moccasin. We're having a great day. But sooner or later, that snake is going to bite you, and if you don't get help, you're going to die. It's just like we all live, just like I talked about. I was having fun, and I was spending time, and I say, my flesh is having such a good time, and God stepped in, but it's going to kill you, Rick. Your flesh is bent on death. Your spirit is bent on life. You've got to start living a life that feeds the spirit. You have fed the flesh enough, and if you don't change this, it's going to kill you. That's how, that's how important this is. But, I love Romans eight thirteen. If you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. What if I, I love this, it made me think about Jeremiah. God loved Jeremiah with all he went through. <laughs> Man, you talk about a tough ministry. And you've heard me talk about this before. Jeremiah, how things are going? Not well. Uh, everybody hates me. Uh, I don't have anybody listening. Everything you tell me to tell them, you're mad. They're not responding. They don't fear you. They, and he says, what did he say? They're not rejecting you, Jeremiah. That's right. They're rejecting me. They rejected me. If you're right with me, then you don't worry about how they're treating you. And, and Jeremiah admits what? He says, I, I would like to not be, keep talking about you. I, I would love to stop because it's not a lot of fun and it causes problems. But there is a fire that is shut up in my bones. I'm so connected to you that I can't help but talk about you. Is that who you are? If, if somebody got around you and I said, and I said, I want you to go spend time with anybody in this room, put your name there. And I, and I, and I loved you enough. I said, I'm going to ask them when I see them after they spent today with you, I'm going to ask them what you care about. Will they say Jesus? Will they say God? Will they say their faith? Cause I'm going to ask them because you know what? Anytime somebody spends any time with you, they know what you care about. Because you can't stop talking about it. And see, we got to get to the point where as men, we're so comfortable with talking about Jesus. We're so comfortable with talking about God. We're so comfortable uh, for talking about the Holy Spirit and sanctification in our life and how it's been changed and how wonderful He is. That's the conversation that we drift to for comfort, not everything else. And I know some of you in this room, if I hang out with you, that's what we're going to talk about. And it's not going to be because we think we're supposed to. We're going to talk about it because it's what we truly care about. Now, some of y'all, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to talk about. If, but, but, but I'm telling you, that really does happen. You know why? Because talking about it just becomes habitual. Why? That's just what I love. That's what I care about. We all talk about what we love and care about. And so if I got up to you and, and, and said what Jeremiah was told... I believe it's in Jeremiah somewhere around chapter 20 or maybe 21. There comes a point, just like Romans 8, 13, when God says, Jeremiah, go tell my people, listen to this. This is important, especially those of you that are watching this and listening and you don't know Jesus yet. This is a message. Jeremiah was told but from God Almighty, Jeremiah, tell them this is a message of life or death. 
You got anybody's attention? Hey, Rick, what are you going to talk about today? This message I got today, please don't start piddling around and doodling. It's a message of, of, of life or death. Have I got your attention at that point? He says, you tell those people of mine that have been rebellious, they better come out of that city, a city of sin. And they need to go out to the Babylonians and they need to submit to them. And they'll be taken prisoner. But I'm going to deliver you later and you'll live. If you stay in this city, I'm going to smite this city and I'm going to wipe out this city of sin and you're going to die with it. Come out of your sin and submit to me. If not, you're going to die. And so Paul is really taking this message and saying the same thing. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death. The Spirit wins. Puts to death the deeds of the body and you will live. This, of course, cannot be done by ourselves. Our strength, our strength breaking habits have to be done in cooperation with the power provided by the Holy Spirit and in dependence on Him. It is not one of these 12-step programs. It's not a three-step program. But how about this? There are practical principles that we can follow to train ourselves in godliness. Number one, write this down, frequent repetition. Everything we've ever done that we, that we got good at, what? Reps. I can remember when I coached football, everybody hated uh, something I had learned from a friend of mine called the perfect play. And they all hated it. And what we would do is we would run the same play over and over until it was perfect. If you ran it perfect, I moved the ball up five yards. If you ran it imperfect, we backed up five yards. And we would not stop till you were in the end zone. Which means sometimes we ended up on another practice field. We ran out of room. But every time it wasn't done right, we backed up. And we're going to stay here until we end up in that other end zone. We're going to run it to everybody does what they do perfectly. And then we'll stop. And then we'll go to another play. This is what he's talking about. Habits, habit is a behavior pattern acquired by frequent repetition just as the more we say yes to sin, the more we say no is also true. Oh, write that down. Just as the, when we used to say yes to sin and it turned into a habit, the converse of that is also true. If you get in the habit of saying no to sin, that also becomes a habit. Amen. Reps, the more we say no, the more we're inclined to continue to say no. That becomes the, the, new, the, the new norm. Take sin, take sin first. Like some of you say, Rick, where do I start? Just like me. Whew. When I first got redeemed, we had so much to fix. We had to start somewhere. You know what? We, we, we're going to do the opposite of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey says, take the lowest debt you have, pay it first, and then work to the biggest one. This is the opposite. If you want to start this to fixing sin in your life, take on the big one first. What is the sin that you seem to fail at the most? What is your weak spot? You take that on, you give it to the Lord, and He'll lead us after we get that under His power and we get that right, then the Lord will show us the other sins we need to work on. Some that we may not be aware of, but that's way on down the road of sanctification. And then the easier it becomes to say no. But start with the stuff that is just blatant in your life. Start there. I had a friend of mine, he went to his church leadership, and he said, we don't have church discipline here. And then he says, she, they said, well, it's been so long. <laughs> Where would you suggest we start? He said, how about the most heinous? Let's throw the people out that are the most heinous. And then we'll work our way down to the other stuff. Got to start somewhere. 
So the, the second one, develop habits of prayer and meditation on scriptures. That's got to be part of rep. Get rep that scripture. And, and, and like we, a brother and I were talking about before this, if you're somebody that needs to get in the habit of reading and you hadn't got there yet, listen to it. There's audio Bibles. There's audio studies. Whatever it takes, whatever garbage you've been listening to, listen to something that matters. Number two, so reps is first. Number two, never let an exception occur. Well, I'm going to do this, and then I'll make an exception here. There can be no exceptions in your life. There's none of this stuff that Jesus has access to everything except a few things I hide over here. He can't have that. So there's no exceptions. Well, you cannot get into this mode of just this once. Well, down to just this once, I'm going to look at porn. Just one more time, because it never ends that way, does it? No exceptions. Resolve says this is a subtle problem and it's a trap. Usually when we are willing to pay the price of saying no, that's when you'll see that indulgent go, go away. We want to indulge ourselves and we think to ourselves, I went through this trying to do better about my eating. Whoa, I went off the, uh, uh, today I see this food in front of me. I'm going to eat to the point of sin. I'm going to be gluttonous. Now tomorrow I'm going to be all right. I used to have, which was very symbolic of how I was at one time in my life, even when I was younger, I used to have a picture of Snoopy on my door of my room, and Snoopy was acting like an idiot doing one of these goofy dances, and it says, I've got to start acting more sensible tomorrow. And, 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 and see, that's always it, isn't it? Hey, man, I've got to get on this tomorrow. Not today, not now. And what we'll say, we've got to have repetition, and we also got to stop with the exceptions. No, there's no more exceptions. Nothing is an exception. Number three, diligence in all areas is required to ensure success in any area. You must be diligent in every area. Without a sincere and diligent effort in every area of obedience, there will be no successful mortification of anyone begetting sin. So you can't say, now I'm going to be very diligent over here in this area of my life now. There's other areas that are going to stay the way they always have been. You know what that's going to lead to? Collapse of all of it. Collapse of all of it. I've noticed something about sin. sin. Sin just seems to beget sin every time. You know, sin's contagious. But you know what else is too? Holiness. And never get the attitude when you're dealing with anything in your life, this isn't so bad. This is not a big deal. This is not a big deal. If there's anything in, if you, until you call sin, sin, as we said at the beginning of, the, of today, you'll never, you'll never deal with it. And, and Adrian Rogers said, any sin that the adversary or your flesh can get you to laugh at, you'll never take serious again. And I've certainly been guilty of that. So we have to give in, get, we have to address every area in our life. If we give in in any area of our life, it opens up a deficit in any area, if not all areas. You know why? I mean, think about that. Could you imagine you giving responsibility to somebody? With your family, and you said, okay, he's, and I said, look, now you, you're going to watch my family, right? Well, mostly. What? Yeah, or, or, mostly. But picture you hire an employee. Now, you know, I want you to do, this is what we got to have here. Like at our, our business, we have things that shouldn't happen and things that can't happen. Okay? The can't happens are fireable offenses. The things that shouldn't happen are just imp imperfection in people. Okay? But what if you went over to the things that could not happen? At your business. And I said, now these five things, if any of these happen, and the person looks up and says, I'm, I'm excited about working with you. One, one, you can count on me for that. Two, eh, 
three, three, yes, four, maybe, and five, probably not. Would you, would you take that person on? Why? Because you couldn't depend on them, right? Because if they're going to compromise any area and the things you can't have compromise in, they'll probably compromise in all of it. So why, why would we treat sin that way? That's, once again, not taking sin serious. Hey, sin always matters. It always matters. And then this one, this is where Jerry and the Bible lets us off the hook a little bit. On the fourth one, don't be discouraged by failure. Okay? Everybody breathe a little bit. Failing and being a failure are vastly different. You're going to make mistakes. As long as we're here. Now, we want to get out of a lifestyle of sin. That's not biblical. But a mistake and a stumble, we see the greatest men of the Bible and the greatest women of the Bible, they never reached perfection in everything all the time, as long as they were in the flesh. But there is a perfection and a defeat of sins that take place. The difference is, is it a stumble or has this now become my life? Is it a lifestyle that I've never fixed? So look, if you make a mistake, you repent. Hopefully, you'll know the Spirit is growing. If you come under conviction, you repent and say, Lord, forgive me for that. But you know what? It, you don't habitually say, well, Rick, I do fail, but I keep failing at the same thing. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about I made a mistake in my growth, but I fixed it. Because what does the devil want you to do? We talked about this earlier. You're not even saved. You're not even saved. Let me look at you today. You, made, you told God you weren't going to fail in this area, and you didn't fail. He's done with you. It's over. Now, we serve a gracious God Amen. because he knows the sincerity of our heart. If the sincerity of your heart is you just messed up, you just made a mistake, you, you had a moment of weakness, and you sincerely repented of it and you corrected it, then keep moving. That doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean God's abandoned you. You keep moving. He said it's, it, it is in vain to guard our minds and our emotions against that which comes from without if we do not at the same time deal with the habits of sin which are within. The battle is on these two fronts, within and without. Only when we are willing to address both of these things, Jerry Bridges says, that's when we'll see progress toward holiness. Take these things, apply them today, assess where you are, just like I have had to do, studying this over the weekend and again today, hearing it again, and make the corrections where they need to be made. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I don't see any victory in any sin in my life, that's, a, that's problematic. Something's wrong because that's not saying much about the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to make a mistake. It's, one, it's another thing to make a mistake and feel no conviction about it. And if there's anything you're not sure about, if there's anything throughout this process you're not sure about, you come see me. Any of you that are watching and, and listening to this, Rick at rickandbubba.com, I'm happy to walk through with you through any of this. We're getting toward the end of this study, uh, and, and I know the last four weeks have been getting heavier and heavier, but, you know, whenever you get to where you can endure is usually when you've gotten to your point where you've been through something difficult made you stronger. And these last four lessons have definitely convicted me and made me stronger. I hope it has for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. As these men go their separate ways, I pray, Lord, that you, as they step out, their flesh or the adversary or, or, or demonic forces are always in play because the adversary wants to destroy men because he knows if he does, he has destroyed a lot. 
But whether it's men or women that are watching or listening to this outside of the room today, Lord, I pray the conviction of the Holy Spirit refines us. And I pray if there's anything in our life today that you've convicted us of, we will not say to ourselves, this isn't a big deal. Sin is always a big deal. And you have given us the power for it to be removed from our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we'll submit completely to you in everything and say, Lord, this is me. Change me because you certainly have the ability to do so. And I pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.